from hidden local hotspots to outrageous wildlife rescues and trend-setting hotels. WestCoastTraveler.com shares the latest travel news from your local community and beyond. Travel the spectacular west coast of the U.S. and Canada without leaving your armchair and start taking notes for your next adventure. Make your next vacation or staycation the best it can be. Visit westcoasttraveler.com. Welcome to Measure Twice, Cut Once, the podcast from Haven, the Home Builders Association, Vancouver. It's season three, and we're exploring how our homes can improve our well-being. We'll be looking at the impact of the air we breathe, the water we drink, and the acoustic levels in our homes, smart kitchens, award-winning designs, and leading-edge building construction. We ask the questions, so you know how to make your home work for you. I'm Jennifer Lee Gunson. And I'm Mike Friedman. Now that you're here, why not hit subscribe, and you'll never miss an episode. Hey, Mike, here we are back in the studio with Measure Twice, Cut Once. Hey, Jennifer Lee, it's always a great day when we come to the studio to meet with builders and industry professionals. I'm learning so much this season as we look at homes through a healthier lens. I know there is so much to take into consideration. It is easy to overlook the intrinsic elements in our homes, such as light, water, and today's conversation, the air we breathe. Thinking back to when we had Brett Stenner on season 19 this season, he mentioned something really interesting, that we spend on average 91% of our time indoors. Yes, and he said the air outside is typically five times cleaner, making me think we need to look at how our homes are built and how we operate in them to ensure we have better standards with better air quality indoors. I agree 100%. So with that in mind, let's bring in today's guest. We have Larry Clay of Clay Construction and Luke Dolan of Capital Home Energy. Welcome, everybody. Good afternoon, Jen and Mike. Perfect. Okay, well, let's get started. Okay, so Larry, Mike and I have known you for quite a few years, but of course, the audience out there doesn't. So can you tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, the Larry story, as I like to call it, and all about your company, Clay Construction? Sure. Wonderful. Thank you, Jen. I would be pleased to. So I am Larry Clay, founder and president of Clay Construction. We are master builders, been in the business for about 19 years. Uh, my first career was a as a teacher. I taught high school and uh, with a large family, six kids. It was just difficult to to make ends meet. So I was always in construction while I was teaching. And I would work for a framer, a general contractor, electrician, a painter. And eventually in the 90s, I said, let's start building my own house. So that's really what got me into the building. Eventually, I had some friends say, hey, Larry, you're an expert having built two homes. Why don't you build me a home? Then I had others join us and I was still teaching at a small Christian school making 20% less than my colleagues in the public school. It was just tough with a family of eight and so I had eight houses to build that year and I was still teaching and that's when I decided to make the move into the building back in uh, around 2003. That's so cool. I always love learning about people who have had careers prior to the one that they're currently in and six children that is a lot how big is your home? Well, we squeeze them in. You squeeze them in. Probably a few of them are sharing rooms and not not their own room. <laughs> no, the house is fine, but we are looking. We live on a beautiful five acres in South Langley, and we're looking to take the house down and build a net zero passive step five house in the near future. Well, Luke, want to welcome you as well. Uh, let's turn the lens on you a little bit more, and let's learn a little bit more about Luke. Who are you? And tell me a little bit more about Capital Home Energy. Okay, great. Yeah, so I'm the owner of Capital Home Energy. Um, we are an energy design design firm 
located in Vancouver, although we do work up and down the Sea to Sky Corridor and on Vancouver Island. Started up the business back in 2008. I'm an energy advisor and we are energy advisors. We're an energy advisor company, meaning that we get our registered or certification from Natural Resources Canada. We primarily work in the residential sector. So most of our work is part nine of the building code. A little bit about myself. I mean, I've been in construction most of my life, most of my adult life uh, throughout summer jobs in high school and university. Grew up in Ontario, played varsity football for McMaster back in the day. I was also a competitive ski racer, raced professional for a few years. Lived in Whistler since 92. I did a full ski bum uh, thing there for quite some time. I'm a father, uh, about to be, about to have a daughter. Uh, my wife is, um, she's due next week. So exciting days in my life. Congratulations. Yeah, thanks. So Luke, you talked about being passionate about sustainability. What does that mean to you? Yeah, good question. So that's kind of why I got into this business. I mean, sustainability, that term gets, it gets floated around a lot in various industries. Um, for me, it's, it's a full life cycle kind of, it's a full lifestyle, I guess, sustainability. But when it comes to construction, it's, um, it incorporates energy efficiency is a big piece of it, but it also incorporates um, other things like uh, being more responsible when it comes to material selections, trying to buy local, trying to reduce your waste on job sites things like that. Uh, energy efficiency, of course, is a huge part, like I said. How you live in general, I guess, is my definition of sustainable. You know, like I, we grow food, we try to eat organic food as much as possible. That to me incorporates sustainability. Okay, Luke, for anyone out there, including myself, because I always get confused by this role on the job site now, but what does an energy advisor do? So we're registered by Natural Resources Canada for one thing. We do energy evaluations on new and existing homes. Um, we use energy modeling software to help homeowners, builders meet energy codes and or make their houses more energy efficient. We work in what's called the EnerGuide for Homes program. EnerGuide is a program that's run across the country. It's essentially how we measure the energy efficiency of homes. So it's a standard that's used across Canada. We're part-time in front of a computer doing computer energy modeling work, and we're part-time out in the field. You have to have a very well-rounded skill set become an energy advisor because we're on job sites. We're giving advice to builders and homeowners on how to make their houses more energy efficient. We do a lot of work with the BC Energy Step Code, which is a performance-based building code, which is relatively new, been in enforcement since December 2017. We're talking about higher performance home here. And I'm going to start with Larry for this part, because the design of the home is one part, the execution or the building of the home is another. Not everyone can do this. You're very much a pioneer in this field, and you had a leadership role for a long time. Based on that, what would you say are some of the questions that you'd want to ask someone if you were interviewing a builder or a contractor to build a higher performance home? Well, as a builder, we find that when I get from the energy advisor the items that we have to put in to achieve the step level, there's some things that are really easy. I have to put in HRV. I've got to put in better windows. It doesn't take any skill to do that. There's two other elements we do. One would be we often will do insulated concrete forms and exterior rigid insulation. Again, that takes a, a select trade who knows what they're doing and how to achieve this, do it properly. But the last one that takes the most skill is going to be your air tightness, as Luke has already alluded to. And the air tightness really is 
It's, it's a skill you have to learn over do, trying to achieve great results over many years. And for us, we're finding that we have to be sequencing using the right products and testing, and we'll do mid-construction door tests. And we will, um, we, we're aiming to get our homes all below one air changes per hour. So you could ask a builder, what are your recent scores on the homes? You can ask them how do they achieve that. You can ask them what type of wall assembly do they prefer because I can tell you not all wall assemblies are created equal. Some have some inherent dangers in them with unintended consequences and some wall assemblies are, um, are going to be excellent uh, not only for long-term durability but for achieving uh, less thermal bridging, et cetera. So these are some of the questions I'd be asking a builder. And some are going to be, I don't have a clue what you're asking about, and then you know right away they are off the list. And some are going to be very knowledgeable and will be inspiring, and I would focus my attention there. Well, we've learned about how to figure out the questions to ask someone like yourself, Larry. I want to shift gears a little to airtight buildings themselves because you mentioned that and you talked about some terms and some methodology. Luke, can you talk to us a little bit more about specifically what is an airtight building? Does that mean no air can get in or out at all? What does that mean for me as a homeowner? What does that mean for anyone considering a new home? Airtightness. So, the, you know, it's a big focus nowadays with construction. So um, we're, we're essentially trying to build as airtight as we possibly can. Think of it like you're building a spaceship or you're building a submarine. Okay, we want to be able to control the amount of air that comes in and out of the house. So we want to be in control. So we are trying to build as absolutely as airtight as possible. I often joke around when I'm doing like an existing home evaluation and there's little kids or something and I'm doing a blower door test and they're like, well, are we going to be able to breathe when you suck all the air out of the house? And I don't know, you might have to hold your breath. We do want to control the amount of air that comes in and out of the house. To achieve an airtight building, we have to have air barriers that are continuous and they can be on the outside or the inside of the building. So we just want to have a continuous air barrier. And for us to have success, we have to make sure that all of our trades are have bought into the program. And that means that our electricians understand there's one wire per hole. Plumbers realize that. Our framers probably one of our biggest allies in achieving an airtight building because we're trying to sequence before the skirt roof goes on, before um, the joists go on. We're making sure the air barrier will be wrapped around the joist. So my, my framer is very involved in achieving an airtight building. And so it's where we're moving towards when all homes have to be one air changes per hour everybody's going to have to get on board with this. Yeah, one way to think about it. So if you were to, if you had your set of architectural plans and you go to like your section drawing where you have a picture of the house, you should be able to take a pen and put the pen on the, on the home and draw where your air barrier is without that pen coming off the paper. And it should be 100% continuous. So we, what Larry was saying was you have to, have pre-planned air barrier strategy, right? We have to have a strategy going into the build. Everybody on your team needs to know what that air barrier strategy is, especially like the framers don't just expect to show up on a job set one day and ask the framers, hey, why haven't you pre-stripped your top plates or something? Um, the framers can be like, well, I don't know, I was supposed to. So everybody needs to be on board with, with a strategy, an airtight strategy when it comes to construction. Okay, well, we talked about testing it earlier. 
And you mentioned something called a blower door test. Some of our listeners may not know what that is. Can you explain, number one, what that is, and two, how we use that to test the airtightness of a structure? We have a contraption called the blower door fan. We have this big, it's a big fan with a collapsible door frame, and we use uh, digital pressure gauges. And we set this up, uh, this contraption up in, uh, in a door, an exterior door of the house. And what we typically do is we depressurize the house. So then we're, we're basically sucking all the air from inside the home out, causing, and this causes negative pressure. So as we're pulling all this air out of the house, what's happening is air from outside wants to come in. So we're creating a vacuum. So we're pulling all the air out of the house, therefore we're pulling air in, and you're probably thinking, well, where is this air coming in from? Well, it comes in from all the natural air leakage points throughout the house. And that could be around your windows, around penetrations, mechanical penetrations, could be light switches, plugs, attic hatches, around fireplaces, uh, kitchen range hood fans, all sorts of areas where we have air leakage. Um, so we're pulling that air back into the house. And we want to determine how many air exchanges you have in one air in one hour. And that's, so that's the metric. So we're basically sucking all the volume of air out of the house. We want, and we want to see how many times does that volume of air come back into the house in one hour. And what we're doing, another way to think of it is we're simulating a 40 kilometer an hour wind on all four sides of the house. So we're simulating a, a situation that would probably never happen, but in order to get a, a reading, find out how airtight or not very airtight your house. And what are the benefits of having an airtight home? Energy efficiency is one, one big thing, right? So we're trying to keep the heat in. So we don't want heat escaping because you're losing heat and then you're having to reheat air up. And that's going to, you know, that's going to cost you more money to heat the house. It's going to use more, um, more energy to heat the home. But another big piece uh, for air tightness, which often gets missed with the general public and even with builders is the durability piece too. So uh, arguably even more important, um, have an airtight building for dura durability sakes and the reason is because we're trying to prevent warm moist air from inside the house getting into our walls or our ceilings condensating and causing damage so we're trying to avoid rot mildew mold from inside our walls so we're trying to uh, protect the building as much as we can so it's a that's a big piece and of course so we got energy efficiency we got durability and then that leads to other things like improved comfort in the house the house is less drafty it feels more comfortable um, you're going to reduce your utility costs. There's also a big healthy component too. So healthier home, clean, fresh air. Since we're controlling the amount of air that comes in and out of the house, we're helping to prevent pollutants like you know, pollen, dust, uh, smoke from your neighbors. <laughs> um, if you live in an area where there's a forest fire danger, like we've seen so many times in the summers in BC, right? If you're in, you know, like, let's say you're in the interior, and you've got smoke. I mean, it always drifts down into the lower mainland every summer, right? So that's another thing too. So an airtight house can help keep a lot of these pollutants from entering the home. So these are all some of the benefits of controlling the amount of air that comes in and out of our houses. Is it okay to just go with the what, what we need to do now? Like I know people want to always strive for more elements, but maybe you don't have the money at the moment. Is it better still to do some things than rather do nothing at all? Well, if you're buying a new vehicle and you don't have enough money for the leather seats, 
it's probably going to be cheaper for you to get the leather seats right up front when you buy that car, as opposed to like five years down the road, you try and get leather seats put in. Um, I don't know if that's a good enough analogy or not, but um, one thing actually is pretty cool um, with the Canadian Home Builders Association. They have a program called the Net Zero Homes. And, you know, the province has sort of their messaging with the BC Energy step code has been that all homes in BC will be built to a net zero ready standard by 2030, 2032 in that zone. So the Home Builders Association has, has jumped out in front of in front of the government and they've developed their own program, which is a phenomenal program. And it, it actually goes to your point um, of, they have a program called net zero and net zero ready homes. And a net zero ready house is a house that is built to the net zero standard. Um, and a net zero home is a home that produces as much on-site renewable energy as it consumes on an annual basis. But a net zero ready house is a house that is built to the net zero standard without adding the renewable energy. So let's say, back to your point, you don't have the budget to install solar panels, for instance. Um, well, you have the option that in the future you could add solar panels and then that built that home will net out, which is kind of cool. So, you know, sometimes if the budget doesn't allow it, then there are some things you can do at the beginning or when you're building a house now that'll help, you know, you in the future. Do you foresee with the higher cost of resources that we're experiencing right now, more people who have existing homes are going to retrofit their homes to at least come up to some of this specification? Or do you think it for an older home like mine that was built in the 80s, is it worth starting all over again? Is there something I can do to do some of these things at home? Well, the great thing about getting an energy evaluation on your house, let's say you've got your 1980s house, is that what we can do is we can help the homeowners put their sort of renovation plans into perspective when it comes specifically to energy efficiency. Unfortunately, it is cost prohibitive to take an existing home and make it super energy efficient. Like the, the payback isn't quite there, but there are steps you can do to make that house reasonably better. Um, there are government incentives, which is which are nice, and they and they help. There might be certain things that you might want to do to your house that might be just unrealistic. So it, it's a tough question to answer, uh, really. And it, it go it, it's house by house, and it depends on when your house was built. Um, I would say it's more beneficial to take an older house and make it energy efficient than it would be a not so old house, like a twenty or thirty year old house, and make it energy efficient, because there's not as many things you can do you know, to a, to a 2000s home or a 1990s house than you could then to a 1930s house or 1940s house. We should talk to an expert. Should it be you who we engage first or should it be someone like Larry who we engage first if we are thinking about making our home more energy efficient? I would be saying see an energy advisor and get their recommendations on where would be the best way to spend your money, then engage a builder. But it really has to be hand in hand. Energy advisors and builders should ideally be working together. But the first one you're going to be hire is going to be the energy advisor. So we recently had Brett on an episode and we were talking about air monitors and actually your daughter came up in the story and he was talking about a little incident that you guys had. Sure. We just installed air monitor and it uh, monitors carbon monoxide and some other pollutants in the air. I was talking with a couple at a restaurant and uh, I get this notice on my phone and the air quality has gone into dangerous levels. And so I phoned home and asked my daughter, did you start cooking? And she said, <laughs> uh, yeah, dad, uh, how did you know? And she's checking the ceiling for cameras. Now, I don't really know what the the issue, why the air quality went down. Was it because she did not have a hood fan? Was it the gas stove? Was she burning something really badly? But this air monitor that monitors the quality of your air really is helpful. 
in us starting to understand the air we breathe. Yeah, that stuff is crazy to me. Like, it's really helpful because, like, my parents have bought some of the newer fans. And especially over the summer when we've had a lot of the fires, they're able to tell you, too, like, if you're in the red or the green in your air. Well, it's interesting how this is also all coming together because one of our previous episodes, we talked about smart kitchens and smart appliances. So having a fan that automatically kicks in when the stove is on is viable technology that you can have right now and would have avoided this issue. But the second best thing, if you don't have that opportunity, is to put a monitor in so you always know what's going on. Yeah, and we have the technology to put monitors in every room. Like you said, Brett was talking about that on an earlier episode, and we can put monitors in every room and they can tell areas of the house to ramp up the ventilation. So great. We have much more to talk about. Uh, This is such an important conversation, learning about airtight buildings and how the building envelope impacts the air we breathe and the importance on our health and well-being. It is so inspiring to hear how building standards are improving for the benefits of the homeowner. I want to get into the actual operations and considerations when planning your home. But first, we are going to take a quick break to thank our sponsors. As your Twice Cut Once is grateful for the support from our podcast partners, Fortis BC. Their support helps us share expert knowledge and resources like you're hearing today from Larry Clay and Luke Dolan to help design and build the right home for you. Speaking of resources, the BC Energy Step Code Program is a provincial standard that is moving the entire home building industry forward to build homes to better energy efficiency standards, which means better comfort, health and safety. Be sure to check out betterhomesbc.ca where you'll find a variety of rebates for construction materials home energy evaluations, plus mortgage and tax refunds. Now let's get back to Luke and Larry. When we're using an HRV, unlike having a window open that treats the air, as you mentioned, one of the things we talk about are humidity levels inside the house. Too high, stuff's going to start growing. Too low, you're going to feel really dry. How does an HRV balance that and keep us comfortable in our home while maintaining fresh quality air coming into the home at the same time? We're concerned about moisture levels in our house, relative humidity levels. So relative humidity levels in a home should be between 30% and 60%. That's kind of where humans, that's the sweet spot where, where humans feel healthy and, and like that zone. On the Where we live on the lower mainland, Vancouver Island, we typically have, we don't have moisture issues. We are, sorry, we, we're not, we're not having to humidify our air in the winter inside our houses. We're usually trying to t- pull moisture out of our homes. So an HRV, for instance, um, will help pull that moisture out of a house. Um, if you were to move the, into the interior, for instance, or north, you might install something that's called an energy recovery ventilator or an ERV. And an ERV is a, is a same ventilation system as an HRV, except it actually is able to return the moisture it's pulling out of the house back into the home to keep the humidity levels um, at a reasonable state. So in your house, you can have sensors, um, humidistats that will sense the relative humidity levels of the home that can be connected to your HRV or your bath fans. And if the relative humidity levels get too high in the house, let's say you've got it set at like 65 or 70 degree or 70%, the HRV will automatically kick in and turn on and the CFM, the power of the fan, the cubic feet per minute of the fan of the HRV will actually go into high mode and it'll start pulling air out of the house. It'll start pulling that that warm, moist air out of the home. So that's a way of controlling the amount of humidity that comes in and out of our houses. These HRVs will pull air from bathrooms where they're 
most likely going to be higher in humidity and they're going to then bring in fresh air from outside and dump them into other areas of the house. Humidity is really important to control. I had a call from a friend who said, I think I got leaky windows. Can you come take a look at them? And this house is pretty new, probably about two years old. And when I got there, I was surprised to see the amount of mold caked on the frames of her windows. And after analyzing the the windows and her house situation, I asked her about her HRV. She says, I don't have an HRV. And so I said, what about your bath fans? And because they were so loud, they just disconnected them and they should have been running for two, four hour cycles a day at a minimum. And the lack of ventilation was causing moisture buildup in the home. And it was just mold on the inside of the window frames. It was awful. Larry, I know as we've talked in the past before, you had a story about a client that needed a house that was purely clean for them because they were allergic to a lot of things. Yeah, we had a client that had multiple chemical sensitivities and it was crazy. She couldn't have poly vinyl in her house. So when we were choosing the boiler, we had to find one that had no PVC piping in it. When we had to do her plumbing, it had to be copper, it had to be soldered. So we had to check the MSDS sheet, material safety data sheet, every product that came into the house. And just to let you know how serious it was, when cabinets were arrived, they were delivered into a detached garage and they sat there for a month and they off-gassed. And we did that for a number of products. But at one particular point, we had, a, we had the mirrors installed and I was at another site and I get this phone call. Larry, what did you do to my house? You wrecked my house. And so I went running over there, like horrified what happened. Because she was going to now, I wouldn't hear for her for two weeks while she had to detoxify herself. So I go over there and uh, I phoned the company that installed the mirrors. I said, did you use the adhesive that was specified? And he says, yeah, Larry, you'll look in the garbage can. You'll see them there. And I looked and yeah, that was the approved adhesive. I asked the same question for the silicone. Same answer. We just said, uh, well, if you discover something, let me know. And he calls me about 30 minutes later. He says, aha, I found it. The guy said before they left the house, they use a glass cleaner and they wipe the windows down with ammonia. And she came in, smelled that, and she needed to take two weeks off, not see anybody and detoxify. So for some people, and I've had a number of people call me, and say, we want a healthy house because I have multiple chemical sensitivities and this is more common than you would know. And there is a way to solve this and build a home that is healthy. There's lots of steps, it's a lot of work, but it certainly is possible. So if we've decided we wanted to build a higher performance home, a healthier home, how do we get started on the design process? One of the things I would recommend is you really have to look at your wall assembly. What's happening now with the step code is we have to be building walls that are effective R22. That means when you consider the amount of wood in the wall and the insulation, it has to net out at R22. There's various ways of achieving it. Unfortunately, there's builders who don't want to change their methodologies, and they're going to move to a two by eight wall with lots of insulation. Unfortunately, this approach has a propensity for mold and mildew and moisture in that wall assembly. So you have to be smart on the wall assembly you want to use, or you may think you're doing good because you're putting more insulation into the wall assembly, but you're getting unintended consequences and moisture 
mold mildew in that wall assembly. So step number one, I'd be really considering how you're going to build these wall assemblies and little things as well as in a, in a basement. Uh, we stopped doing bat and poly in basements about eight years ago. That's a horrible practice. That's going, to, that's going to be, at some point, I'm sure it's going to be excluded from the code. But we had clients who, we were designing a house for them. They said, we don't want a basement. And I asked, well, why don't you want a basement? Well, the current house we live in, an older home, when my grandchildren go into the basement to sleep, they come back out in the morning coughing and hacking and their asthma is acting up. And so because of that, we don't want to have those, those health issues. So we don't want a basement. And I replied that, you know, you certainly can have a healthy basement. There's steps you have to take and let me step you through it. And, and we ended up building them a house in Burnaby that was, um, that was healthy and they just absolutely love their basement. They've had zero issues. Another misconception that I think is around this is a lot of times people think that high performance is going to impact the design of the home. Yes and no. Um, if you have lots of money, you can overcome any design. We built a house in Burnaby. And it was fairly boxy, gable roof, pretty simple. And to hit step five, this house required a certain amount of rigid insulation on the outside, insulated concrete forms, a certain, I think we aim for one air change per hour, high-end windows, HRV. And with that, we were able to hit step five. But we were building a very different house in Langley that was quite executive. The design was complicated. And so when we, I asked them, would you be interested in a step five house, a net zero house? And they said, yeah, that's kind of sexy. Yeah, let's go with that. So when the house got designed, we gave it to the energy modeler and we said, well, we're thinking of doing the same stuff that we did on this Burnaby house, on this Langley house, and we should get really close and we'll just tweak it to make it work. And when they got back to me, they said, you know, if you do the same thing on this Langley house, you can't even hit step two. I went, holy cow, that's crazy. And so it's really important that the energy adv advisor be involved early on in the design process to make some recommendations so the clients don't fall in love with the house before the energy modeler has their, their hand in it giving some advice. What the whole industry is realizing is that if you go a simpler design, it's going to be easier and less, when I say easier, easier to build, easier to detail your air barrier, and that equates to uh, cost savings as well, too. And I think the misconception is that simple is ugly or doesn't sell, and I think that's wrong. I think you can still dress up a box and make it look pretty. You know, I talk about this when I teach my building science course to my builders, and we, we talk about why you want to go to a more simple design because it's easier to meet the building code. I mean, building a box is a lot easier than building a, a home with a lot of bunch of bump outs and corners, like the complex home that Larry was talking about in, in Langley. Um, we can we can make, the, and also the, on the flip side of that, the benefits of a performance-based building code like the step code is that we can make anything, we can make anything comply. It's just how deep are your pockets, right? It's at the end of the day, like we're doing massive houses in West Vancouver that have a 50% window to wall ratio and we can make them hit step five. Perfect. And I, again, I think a lot of people think right away, like you said, simple is going to be like, oh, it's not going to be like the showstopper on my street, but it really can be like a lot of people don't realize that sometimes simple design is more eye-catching. So thank you guys so much. We've learned a lot of great things today. Uh, Larry, Luke, thanks for joining us again today on Measure Twice, Cut Once. Uh, taking a breath to learn how to improve the homes we live in is an incredibly important topic and one that every homeowner needs to be aware of.
I agree 100%. And as a homeowner considering a either new build or renovation in the near future, learning about the importance of indoor air quality and the health of my family has been incredibly eye-opening. So many great conversations we had. Definitely the important role of an energy advisor is something I didn't really understand before, and I hope our audience understands it better as well. Questions you want to ask your builder to understand their level of competence building high-performance homes. The value of benefits to the homeowner, keeping in mind that 10 to 20% of households have at least one family member experiencing respiratory issues such as asthma. The importance of exterior wall assemblies to create an airtight building. The necessity for proper ventilation, noting that opening a window will not create enough circulation to recycle the air in your entire home. And most importantly, high-performance homes impact design. So it's important to get an energy advisor on your building team ASAP. And before we go, Larry, do you have one tip to share with our listeners? I would say get excited about this new age of building. Your operating costs are going to be less. You get so much more. You're going to get health, you're going to get comfort, and you're going to get durability. Thank you so much, Larry. And Luke, what is your tip for our listeners? Get an energy advisor in as early as you can on the project. If you're doing a renovation, good place to start. Takes away the guesswork and helps you lay a plan forward, gets a roadmap for that house um, for the foreseeable future. Thank you both so much. Getting a basic understanding on how the home is built and the benefits to the homeowner's air quality and quality of life is immeasurable. Agreed. Now, Larry and Luke, uh, it's award season and I believe you're up for some awards. Can you quickly share some of your finalist nominations? Well, at the Haven Awards, we are up for Best Renovator of the Year, Best Builder of the Year, and the Georgies were up for Best Renovator of the Year and Best Custom Builder of the Year as well, along with a host of finalists for different homes. Congratulations. Congratulations. Yeah, that's that's no small measurement in our industry. So best of luck in the upcoming awards, gentlemen. To our listeners, if you enjoy this podcast, please consider liking, following, sharing with your family or friends. The more followers we have, the more people will find our podcast and the excellent resources our guests are sharing. If you want to check out the other award finalists and winners, head to haven.ca slash awards. And for notes and links to everything mentioned on today's episode, go to haven.ca slash measure twice, cut once. Thanks for joining us. Why spend hours searching dealerships, comparing makes and models? Find the best of BC's inventory in one place, todaysdrive.com. You'll have access to inventory across BC, where you can easily find a vehicle that fits your needs and gets you where you need to go in comfort. Get in the driver's seat. Don't miss out on the many options we have available for you. Powered by Black Press Media, todaysdrive.com connects you with exclusive new and used car deals.